services too. I did try to get out of it this year. <laughs> but um, yeah, they didn't let me. <laughs> so they're no, we like it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll come up with another football sermon. Yeah, so... All right, let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for today, God, and um, prepare our hearts to receive this message, Father God, as a word of encouragement and a word of correction, Father, at the same time, Lord. And we just give you praises, glory, and honor for everything you're doing in us and in our church and in our lives and in our families, Father, in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my sermon today is just 10 yards. And when you hear this, I want you to be thinking about, do you hear a mocker saying to you, just 10 yards, that's all you got? Or do you hear an encouraging coach saying, just 10 yards, just give me 10 yards, that's all I need, because I want you to hear the second one today. Matt and I uh, run in our neighborhood, and and for those of you who know me, you know I like to run. I've been running for about 30 years consecutively. I don't know that I took um, hardly any time off from running. I enjoy running. It's something I like to do, and my husband has joined me from time to time, and so he's in a season of running with me. And on our route, we pass by this old man walking all the time, and he's a 97-year-old man. He's going to be 98 next week. And by the time we get to his house, we've ran about a half a mile from his house until we do this big loop is um, a little over two miles. And this one day, we, we literally were passing him as he was coming out of his house. And so we kept going. We're like, hey, how are you doing today? He's always very cheerful. He's always very, uh, such a, just a nice, nice man. And we kept running and we come around. We did a little over two miles and we come back and I see him walking the other way. And I said, I said, honey, how, how far do you think that he's come from his house from, you know, this? And Matt said, well, it's about two football fields. So we ran two miles in the time he walked two football fields. And, you know, it's a snail's pace, but I thought, man, this guy's out here getting it done. He's out here getting it done. And, you know, I started to think about football. And I get how people like the big plays because it's really fun to watch a guy run a punt return, right? Oh, my gosh, 97-yard punt return? That's super fun. It's really fun to watch Tom Brady throw, you know, a pass for 50 yards across the football field. Those things are super fun and they're fun to watch. But I like the one yard at a time grind. I like the one yard at a time. And it takes 10 yards for a first down. Some of y'all that don't know football, a football is a leather ball about this big. It's oblong. And it's played on a football field. Just kidding. So there's 100 yards on a football field. And and, uh, 10 yards is your first down. And so to get 10 yards, sometimes you get four plays to get 10 yards. And sometimes they can't even get 10 yards in four plays. (laughs) If you're the Seahawks, (laughs) you're not preaching today. But it can be, those 10 yards can be very painful and grueling. And it seems like a short distance because honestly, it's really a short distance if you look at 10 yards on a football field. It's not very long distance, but it can be the longest distance of your life. And sometimes you get a big play, you get instant success, and people will cheer your name. But it's the grind that really defines us. And when I see the, that running back out there, 
it represents more real life to me because in my life, I haven't had many big plays. I just haven't. I haven't had big successes or big plays. I've taken over ground yard by yard, little by little. And it's those mundane, day-to-day, keep going, don't quit work that produces the greatest harvest in our life. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So Paul tells us that in due season there's a harvest. If you don't grow weary and you don't lose heart. I'm going to talk about the running back today. The running back is one of the most high-profile offensive positions on a football team. It's also one of the most demanding. And many dream of being a great running back in the NFL, but very few are able to make it to that level, and even fewer last once they get there. The average playing career of a running back in the NFL is 2.5 years. That's not a lot. The, 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 the league average is 3.3 years, so it's almost a whole year less. And while that may not seem like much of a difference, it's a monumental drop-off in career averages. So why do running backs not last that long in the NFL? There are many contributing factors, but the main reason often cited for this is the fact that running backs take a beating on just about every play. Almost every play of the game, these guys take a beating. A featured running back on a team may handle the ball anywhere from 15 to 30 times per game. And between the times he carries the ball and catches the ball as a receiver, and on just about every one of those plays, he will absorb a hit from a defender. Even if the play ends in the running back going out of bounds or scoring a touchdown, it's likely a defender made contact with him. And even if he escapes without being touched at all, he likely made plenty of sudden cuts that causes wear on his tear, wear and tear on his knees, hips, ankles, and feet. I saw that for service. I tried to juke. And I threw my knee out. In addition to being the target of all 11 defenders on the field when he touches the ball, a running back is also responsible for picking up rushing defenders and blocking them on certain pass plays. Most great running backs will have a set of traits and skills that set them apart from other players at their positions. So today, we're going to talk about the five running back traits. So these were, as I did my research on this, these are the top five. Now, now there's a lot of traits out there that people have, but these are the top five to be a running back. So the first one is running backs have great vision. Just like quarterbacks, running backs have to constantly scan the field to identify opportunities and pick up responsibilities. Unlike the quarterback, though, running backs need to do this while running in a crowd. A running back must have great vision to be able to see the gaps in the defense. Sometimes these gaps are less than a yard wide and they can sometimes close quickly. That's why a running back must be able to scan the field using his peripheral vision to identify these holes to run through. So I'm asking you, how's your vision? How's your spiritual vision? Can you see right now the deception that's taking place in the world and in the church? See, many cannot in its business as usual. Many can't see it. And some are choosing to remain willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant. 
And we are in a time of great deception and apostasy. Scripture has told us these things. One of the main things the enemy uses is deception. It's deception. I have been a student of the book of Revelation for uh, since I've been saved. I, I have studied Revelation. I've read every book on it. I have taught classes on it. I know this book very, very well. In Revelation, it says that the enemy deceives the nation by sorcery. Now, for years, I didn't understand exactly what this meant. But given the current events, I understand it. The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. Pharmacy. The enemy deceives the nation by pharmacy. Well, now I understand what's going on. The enemy is deceiving, but many cannot see it. Many are also failing to see biblical truth. And they're falling away from biblical truth. And there are false teachers and preachers everywhere teaching false doctrine. And the Bible says that false, these false teachers are transformed as ministers of light. Because their message sounds so good and it's so pleasing and it tickles our ears. And the church is blind to this deception. And the Bible tells us that the very elect may be deceived. The way it's written in the Greek, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It means that there's a possibility that we could be deceived if we are not careful to have eyes to see. And this is a sign of the end times. A friend of ours, Pastor Kerry, made a movie titled Enemies Within the Church. We showed it here at church. Many people came to see it and exposes much of the false doctrine in the church. It is well made. It is well delivered. And it is a truthful, biblical account. And I have watched it twice. It is biblically sound. But I know people who won't watch it because they don't like Pastor Kerry. I know people that won't watch it because the movie exposes organizations that were once Christian but are no longer Christian. First of all, and I tell people, you don't know Pastor Kerry. Secondly, you watch movies that you love that are produced by worthless and wicked people. So that makes you kind of a hypocrite. And thirdly, some are just willfully ignorant. Because it's foolishness to bury your head in the sand and say, I don't want to see. It's foolishness. And you lack eyes to see what is going on in the church. Folks, now more than ever, we need to have eyes to see. Jesus told us the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you as darkness, how great is that darkness? Folks, spiritual vision, not unlike spiritual hearing, is a must. Jesus said we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Revelation, we see the lukewarm church. They needed ISAB because they were blind to their spiritual state. They were deceived by their own spiritual state. They were born again believers in Christ, and they were deceived. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with ISAB that you may see. In the previous scripture, in the previous verses, he said, you are blind and you don't know you're blind. Why? Because the deception that's out there, you're deceived. And, and I think, how easy is it for us to deceive ourselves? 
I remember years ago, um, a bunch of ladies had bought Fitbits and they were having a Fitbit challenge to see how many steps they could take, like 10,000 steps or something like that. And so they were, they were all doing this and they wanted me to join and I was watching them and one lady was telling me she was putting it on her foot and she would, you know, during the daytime she'd be sitting there doing this. And I was like, I'm not doing that with you guys. I was like, you're cheating. You're deceiving yourself. So then for Christmas, my, my kids got me an Apple watch. And I don't know if you guys can see these rings on here. And this is a, it's an active, an active activity thing. And so there's a ring for standing up. How often you stand up, there's a ring for exercise and there's a ring for movement. So you move around and, um, so, you know, most of the days I close all my rings, but some of those days when I'm looking at it and, and I figured out if you just sit here and do this, <laughs> I can close my rings <laughs> and I'm deceiving myself because my rings close, but I didn't move 10,000 steps. I deceived myself. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may may see wondrous things from your law. And the word of God brings clarity so that we may see clearly, folks. It's that mirror that we put in front of us and exposes our sins, exposes our wrong thoughts. So we look into God's word and we have a choice. We can stay the same or we can change. And when we are presented with truth, we can look at the truth and we can either repent and receive or we can remain willfully ignorant. But people don't like the word because God has a standard for his people. There's standards for men. There's standards for women. There's standards for our marriage. There's standards for our walk and standards for forgiveness and standards in how we treat others. There's standards for worship. But we don't like standards. We don't like boundaries. Today, I want to say, Lord, give us the eye cream so we can see clearly Folks, because you need to have good vision to see the field. Just 10 yards. Just 10 yards. The second thing the running backs have is they have great instincts. So it's next to impossible for a running back to truly see the entire field, especially as he's trying to wade his way through big bodies that are trying to attack him and trying to block for him. That's why he must have great instincts to know where to go without actually seeing it. This is one of those traits that can't be taught or coached. It's a skill that a player will acquire over time after playing the position for a while and experiencing game action. Oh. Knowing where to go if you don't see an opening is almost as important as seeing a hole in the first place. And Christians, we should be the wisest people on the earth. We, we shouldn't have to, we should know where to go without even seeing it. We should know where to go. But unfortunately, this is not always the case. Jesus told us in Matthew, behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And Hebrews, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, oh, it kind of sounds like the running back, to discern both good and evil. So the writer here is telling us that 
through habit and practice, through custom and long use of habit, that these have arrived where they can discern what is of God and what is not of God. And only comes through this habitual practice over time and use. This is to experienced Christians who by long experience are able to distinguish what is useful and good instruction from what is evil. It refers to discerning right doctrine and true teaching. And this is in this senses exercise is uh, internal sense in the Greek, internal sense, and it's a faculty of perceiving truth. So that through long and disciplined experience, Christians have come to be able to carefully and accurately distinguish good doctrine from error. They will appreciate and understand what is true, and they will reject what is false. And many in the church are falling away from sound doctrine for a failure to exercise this discernment. They refuse to see where to run. Therefore, they have no knowledge of the right way to run. This scripture is not about age. In 2 Timothy, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, Timothy was a young pastor. He was perhaps only 19 when he took over the Ephesian church. Paul placed him over the church in Ephesus. He was a young pastor. He, 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 didn't, he didn't have to go to seminary and do all these sort of things. God just placed him over a church because he was discerning of what was good and what was evil. He knew what was good and what was evil. This discernment is for whosoever will. Because this is not the gift of discernment, because there's a gift of discernment. This is a discernment that's a particular kind of discernment of of being able to distinguish what is good from what is evil. So it's for whosoever will. But you can be lazy or you can be diligent. It's long and disciplined experience. This is those things we talk about all the time. Reading your Bible constantly. Applying the word of God to your life. Spirit-led prayer. Fasting. Regular church attendance. I can't tell you how important it is, especially nowadays where Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering, even more so as you see the day approaching. People that come once every couple months, I'm telling you, you're not going to be victorious and you have a greater chance of falling away. Sound preaching, obedience, fellowship with righteousness. Folks, for whosoever will, just give me 10 yards. Just give me 10 yards. Number three, running backs are elusive. Remember, a running back gets beat up on almost every play. Even the most powerful running backs need to be able to avoid these hits and tackles. In fact, avoiding tackles is a running back's primary job once he touches the ball. In order to make defenders miss, great running backs will employ a number of different moves. This is where I threw out my knee. Including a stutter step. I'm not doing anything anymore. Hurdle. Stiff arm. I'll do that one. Stiff arm. Spin move or juke. And all of these moves require a combination of quickness, speed, power, and agility. And most great running backs will develop their go-to moves over time as they figure out how they can be most successful at remaining upright. Oh, remaining upright. First Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
This word sober actually means what it means. It's a strict abstinence of anything that inebriates. So flee from any intoxicants that mar your ability to see clearly. Guard against lust and passions of the flesh. Be, vi- be vigilant. This means that it requires immediate attention. Yes. Cover your crack. Yes. I preached a whole message on that one time. Yes. You don't leave yourself exposed to the enemy. Yes. Don't leave anything exposed to the enemy. That means we repent of all sins, including your pet little sins. Yes. Don't let pride creep in. Like, it's like, pride is like high blood pressure. You, y'all have heard high blood pressure is the silent killer. Because you can have high blood pressure often and not know it. You can have high blood pressure for years and someone will have a stroke and they're like, why did I have a stroke? Well, you have high blood pressure. I didn't know I had high blood pressure. Yeah, because it's a silent killer. You don't always know when you have it. It's pride. Pride is that silent killer. And I could tell you story after story after story of men who fell through pride. Boy, I could write a book on that. And some have repented and some have not. (laughs) Folks, and God is resisting you if you are prideful. The Bible says God resists the proud. When you are prideful, when you operate in, in pride, when you say, I can do this on my own, I got this, this is about me, anything that showcases you and not Jesus, it's pride. Grace only comes to the humble. We have to bring our heart continually before the Lord for cleansing. We have to keep our thought life pure. And you will never have the victory if you don't control your thoughts. You will not. You will not have the victory if you do not control your thought life. The enemy plays in our mind and many of you are just letting him have free range in your head. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ The scripture says the enemy seeks like a predator, predator, the weakest one. He's going after the weak. He's roaring, and this implies he's hungry and he's determined. Because, you know, I, I think sometimes in the church that we can give the enemy too much credit. Say, oh, the devil did this to me. I was like, that's not the devil, that's your flesh. The devil has no control over you, which you don't allow him. Greater is he, me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The, the enemy is not greater than what God can do in me and through me. Make no mistake. But you need to consider him a worthy and cunning adversary. He is cunning. And he picks off those who separate themselves from the herd. He goes after the youngest in age and in the faith. This is why baby Christians and those who have been struck hard by the enemy need to keep themselves constantly in the body. Yeah. As people say it all the time, well, I was going through something, I had to separate, I was going through, you don't, you know, I was going through this or I was going through that, and I'm like, we're all shot. Yeah. Just keep driving, we're all shot. You ain't gone through nothing that nobody else has gone through. Yeah. And you're the, and everybody wants to play the pity role of you don't know what I've been through. Well, you know what? I can tell you in our church, everybody's been through worse than you. Yeah. <laughs> There's somewhere, somewhere, someone, someone's been through worse than you. And guess what? They're still going. Yeah. They're still moving. Yeah. They're still doing it. Amen. The enemy works overtime in isolation. Yes. Yeah. 
He does. You get, you isolate yourself from the body. The enemy starts lying and deceiving you and he's talking to you and he's telling you this and that and this and that. And you begin, you begin to believe lies and you believe your own lies. And then you fall into deception. Satan does not have to destroy you. He just has to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. Then he's won. And many of us should know by now how to juke out the enemy. We should know how to juke him out and stiff arm him. We should not be ignorant of his devices. But why are we ignorant of his devices? James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. But see, people, there's something before that. Submit to God. Because a lot of people say the first part. I can't reach it far enough. Resist the devil and he will flee. So a lot of people try to resist the devil, but they're not submitted to God. So you can't resist the devil. Put the first step first. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submission is safety. And it takes humility to submit. I cannot do this on my own, God. I need you. God, help me. Just 10 yards. Come on, Lord. Just 10 yards. We got this. Running backs are durable. A running back can only be a good contributor to his team if he's on the field. If he's consistently missing plays or games because he's hurt, then it'll be hard for him to become great. While running backs will do everything they can to avoid getting hit, it's next to impossible to go an entire game at the position without getting hit. A running back must be able to absorb those hits and keep getting back up over and over again. Some of y'all need to hear that. You need to be able to absorb hits and keep getting up. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's not in the Bible. It's from Rocky Balboa. Rocky said, come on, man. Y'all got to love Rocky. Jeez. Go watch all of them. Rocky said, it's not how hard you can hit but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Paul said in the book of Acts, it says, this was said about Paul, sorry. And when they had come to him, Paul, Paul said to them, you know from the first time that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. There's There's that humbleness with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Okay, so Paul's going, and, and the Holy Spirit is testifying. Paul, every city you go to, you're going to face chains. But what did Paul say? He said, but none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. He said, I don't even care about my life. I don't care about my life. I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Is that your freedom cry? 
none of these things move me. Hit me again. I'm getting back up. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. But the wicked fall by calamity. Rise again. The righteous man falls seven times and he rises eight. You could say the righteous man falls 70 times seven. And what? He raises 70 times eight. He's getting back up. Because falling doesn't make you a failure. The inability to rise does. And there's grace for durable work. I say durable work. Because God has called us to work for him continually. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. This is a grace to labor for him. This was a grace to work for the Lord. This was a grace to do what God had called Paul to do. That was that grace. See, grace is multifaceted. It's not one faceted. We look at grace and like, well, I'm saved. I have grace. And I'm like, grace is the ability to do almost everything that you need to do in this life. I should say it is the ability to do everything that you need to do in this life. It's power. It's joy. It's peace. It's the power. It's the presence and power of God coming into our life, enabling us to endure. And every Christian is a member of the body of Christ and is therefore needful to the body. And each body part has a function, a role, and a job. Grace equips and strengthens you for this God-assigned task in his body. And any body part that is non-functional is lame and crippled. God has given us gifts. Now, your gift's not my gift. You're not supposed to be doing what I'm doing. I'm doing what God has asked me to do. I'm using my gifts in the way that God has told me to. I've written things. I write things all the time. I preach. I teach. I have, you know, whatever God has called me. That's what I'm doing. Pastor Matt is doing all his administrative stuff and pastoring this church as a leader. Pastor Jay does his work. Pastor Shelley does his work. And none of us look the same. So you don't have to be, you don't have to look at saying, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing work for the Lord. No, you do what God, you have a function and a job that God has given you and you are supposed to be doing that. Romans 12, 6, it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. It goes on, if prophecy, let's prophesy in portion of our faith. So there's, there, there's, and these are not just charismatic gifts, there's gifts of administration. Did you know there's a gift of mercy? Right. And, and we're all supposed to be merciful, but there's a gift of mercy. There's a gift of faith. We're all supposed to have faith, but there's a gift of faith. We're supposed to use our gifts. Yeah. And every Christian has been given a function or job in the body of Christ by grace. It's by grace. It's a grace gift. God gives a measure of grace to that Christian based on the function they are called to perform. So if a Christian does not operate in that God-ordained function, we may call that a dysfunctional Christian. And Paul said, it's receiving the grace of God in vain. Lazy Christians squander the grace of God. And your replacement is being prepared through your excuses and laziness. Squatters come to the church and quickly return home without helping or benefiting the kingdom or the local church at all. These are akin to leeches. 
Let us not be a parasite on Christ's body. When grace abounds in your life, then work for the kingdom will abound in your life. Grace is not given for you to be selfish and introverted in the kingdom. Grace comes for you to abound in good works and grace produces sufficiency in your life. Grace is a condition of contentment and contentment should free you up to serve God. If there aren't any good works in your life, there's no grace working in your life. So then, work then is a grace of God, then apparently the ability to keep working regardless of circumstance is also a gift of God. But you have the choice. You can either stay ineffective and lazy or you can rise up. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What are you, what are you doing now? I, I meet a lot of people all the time. Well, you know, I used to do this. I used to do that. Well, what are you doing now? Well, you know, I got offended. <sighs> you have no right to be offended. I'm not, you know, this was on my heart, actually. You have no right to be offended about anything because guess what? You were an offense to God. And he forgive us. We have no right to carry an offense. None. You have no right. You better get rid of it. You better get your heart right. If this word offends you, I don't care. You don't have a right to be offended. Get it right with the Lord. Repent of that offense. And thank him for the gift that he doesn't hold it against you. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So he says, now you received a gift. Your gift is for the body. You should be ministering it to each other because guess what? You're a steward of his grace now. Oh, what is stewardship? Well, stewardship is anything you've been given to look after and care for. So then stewardship is understood that you will have to give an account for what you did or did not do with what has been placed in your care. We are stewards over God's grace as long as we live and we will give an account to God. Folks, you have to rise up and press on. Come on, just 10 yards. My last point is running backs have a will to succeed. Great running backs are multi-talented. They need to be a combination of a good runner with the ball, a good pass catcher, a good blocker, and all of these take great vision and great skill. But overall, they have to have a will to succeed. If you ask any um, high-level athlete, they will tell you the will to succeed has to overshadow their natural ability. I I mean, I know story after story after story of people with natural ability and they didn't have the will and they just kind of flopped out. The will to succeed. And Isaiah uh, 50 verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me. Well, there's the grace. There's the grace. God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. This was said of Christ. And setting your face like in flint implies, I want you to get this, it implies that you're expecting opposition. 
You are expecting opposition and expecting to stand strong in the face of opposition. So it's twofold. It's I am setting my face like a flint. I am going to do this. I am not stopping. For the joy that was on the other side, Christ went to the cross. He expected opposition, but he also expected to stand strong in the face of adversity. To set your face like flint means you regard difficulties as worthwhile when you consider what they will lead you to. Acts 21, going on with Paul, says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. Paul said his face, he said, I I know opposition awaits me. I know. But there's joy on the other side. I'm going. I don't don't care. I don't don't care if they take my life. I'm going. Paul experienced opposition everywhere he went. But it was the joy of finishing his race and seeing Jesus face to face that was greater. You know, when I think of that old man walking every day, we talk to him a lot. He walks two miles and, you know, I imagine it takes him two hours. I bet it does. But you know what? He gets it done. He doesn't have any excuses. He walks slow and he keeps going through the pain and suffering of his aging and ailing body. Folks, 98. And I was thinking about this. I'm 50. That's 48 more years. That's a whole nother life that I don't want to live. This man always has a good attitude and he's always out there walking. That's my kind of hero. The one who endures with joy. The Bible tells us we have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. You have need of it. You have need. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He's saying that you won't receive the promise without endurance. And this was spoken here to a group of believers who, who because of the persecution and affliction from a tyrannical Roman empire and a zealous Jewish community, they were wanting to quit running their race. This is why there's multiple warnings against apostasy in the letter to the Hebrews. It was a real and present threat. It was a real and present threat to these believers. Because folks, endurance is more than just put your head down and grind. And there's a portion of that sentiment in endurance, but it's having an adamant mindset that says no matter what may come my way and no matter what pain or suffering or affliction I have to go through, no matter how high the climb or how difficult it gets to breathe, I'm finishing my race with joy. With joy. Just as no one could stop Jesus from going to the cross and no one could stop Paul from going to Jerusalem, No one can stop the one who has this kind of endurance. 
And think of that 90-year-old man out there walking. He walks in the rain, the snow, the fog. He was out there on ice one day. I was like, oh, he's going to break his hip. But he's walking his two miles. It doesn't matter how slow you go, folks. One yard at a time. Just keep going. Just keep going. You have need of endurance. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary and do not lose heart. For in due season, there's a season coming that you will reap a harvest. Just 10 yards. I'm going to end with Luke 21:19. Russ, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. As Russ plays, please bow your heads. I always like to give people an opportunity to respond because the, the word of God requires a response. I'm not up here to placate you guys, make you feel good. I've been praying and pouring out over the word of God as does every minister that preaches up here. We take the word of God seriously. It's holy. And so you have you have a response. You, you can look at the word of God and reflect in yourself and say, where am I missing the mark, God? Show me where I'm missing the mark and help me, God. I want to I endure. I want to have joy. I want to I be adamant in my mind. I want to keep going, God. Or you can choose to discard it. That's your choice. But the wise will apply the word of God. They'll receive instruction and receive correction, and they will be wiser. If you're here today and you are not saved, if you do not know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, if you've not been born again, if your life has not changed, if it looks exactly the same, I don't care what prayer you said, your life has got to change. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. Why do we have to be born again? Because our old nature is enmity to God. It means we were enemies of God. We need the nature of Christ inside of us. If you can say, I've never been born again. I don't know him. I'd like you to raise your hand today. We want to pray with you. If you feel comfortable, you can come up here and someone will pray with you. You need to call out to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I need you. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I want to turn away from my past. I want to turn towards you. And your life will never be the same. lady if you feel comfortable you come up here someone will pray with you if not we'll just pray for you right there I don't want to embarrass anybody maybe you've been far from the Lord you're a prodigal you've ran away from the Lord and you know you've been far from God for a long time you're not living the way that you should you've spent your inheritance and you're in the muck and mire the Bible says that the prodigal came to himself. He came to his senses. He said, what am I doing here? I'll just go back and repent to my father and he'll receive me. That's you. Just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I'm sorry for going my own way and I'm sorry for doing my own thing. And you know what? It says the father welcomed him with open arms. If you're a prodigal and you want prayer today, raise your hand. 
hearts of us. We just want to apply this word to our life. Do you want do you want prayer for that? If you want prayer, just walk up here. Someone will come pray with you. so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.